0: please stand? Alleluia, alleluia, opening our hearts to him, singing alleluia, alleluia, Jesus is our
1: king.
0: It's the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Saint Mark. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: may be seated. Good morning. Our gospel reading this morning is an interesting text for us to consider at this moment in American history. We live in a time not just of political uncertainty, but also of cultural turmoil when the status quo is being challenged and change is being demanded. And in the process, our values as a society and as individuals are being examined and debated, sometimes in ways that we would prefer not to. And what's interesting about our gospel reading is that it not only talks about two miracles performed by Jesus, it also reveals his values, values about status, gender, and time, interestingly enough. Three issues very much at the heart of our contemporary cultural discussion as Americans today. The way that Jesus responds to status, gender, and time demonstrates the values of God's kingdom, and they are countercultural for the first century, and I would argue for the 21st as well. This means that if we name Christ as our king, these are to be our values as well. So let's reflect on this gospel reading, Mark chapter 5, to see what these values are and what they might mean to us. We'll consider three things in order to try to dig into it. First, we'll consider the story that's in our gospel reading, then the values that Jesus demonstrates, and the challenge that this presents to us. The story, the values, the challenge, okay? First, the story. Jesus has crossed the Sea of Galilee in a boat with his disciples. Now, several of them worked as fishermen on the lake, so this would have been an easy matter for them. And when they arrived, a crowd who heard he was coming was waiting. Now, if this happened today, videos of Jesus' teaching and healings would have gone viral at this point, And people would be uploading selfies taken with various disciples and leaving comments and strings of emojis, you know how it goes. But they didn't have that, so instead of staring at tiny screens, they went to where his boat was landing in order to check it out for themselves, to see and to listen and to learn. Now, Jesus was a provincial rabbi. He came from the provinces. He wasn't one who had emerged from the Jerusalem elite, but he taught boldly with a strangely attractive authority, saying things that made people stop and think and telling stories that lodged in their imaginations and made them reflect and wonder for days afterwards. He spoke as if he truly knew God as his father and he acted that way too. There were reports of miracles and in that day people were skeptical about such things just as we are today. So Jesus arrived in the boat and there's this huge crowd waiting for him pressing closer and all around in order to get a closer look. Then in verse 22 we're told a man named Jairus, he's identified as a synagogue ruler, pushes through the crowd, gets down on his knees and quote, implored Jesus earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made made well and live. Jesus agrees to go with him, and they set off through the crowd of people. Now, in the crowd, St. Mark tells us in verse 25, quote, there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. Uh, Here's a little aside I'll just throw in. When Luke tells this story, Luke the physician, all he says about her is that nobody could heal her. Okay, Mark gives us a bit more of the details. Now we don't know what this woman's illness was exactly but it involved chronic bleeding. So it's likely that she's been anemic and weak that entire time, over a decade, unable to be fully engaged with ordinary life. Whatever the details, she doesn't want to make a scene, so she comes up behind Jesus in the crowd and touches the hem of his coat. She's heard stories about him, And has come to believe in him to the extent that she's convinced that if she simply makes contact with his coat, she'll be healed. And amazingly enough, she is. And then her quiet plan goes awry. Jesus stops, turns, and asks who touched him. Now, the disciples think that's a nonsensical question because of all the people pushing around trying to get close, but Jesus ignores them and waits. So Mark says in verse 33, the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Jesus welcomes her very warmly, calls her daughter a term of recognition for a member of his family, frees her from her illness, and lets her assume normal life for the first time in 12 years. Remarkable. Now about this time, while Jesus is still talking with the woman, people from Jairus's household arrive with the news that confirms this man's worst nightmare. His only child, his daughter, has died. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further. Now Jairus tells Jesus that he's no longer needed but Jesus doesn't agree and tells Jairus not to be afraid but to believe in him and he continues on to Jairus' house. He sends out everyone but the girl's parents and three disciples Peter, James and John takes the little girl's hand, says in Aramaic the rest of the text is in Hebrew, he says in Aramaic, Talitha kumi and the little girl awakens from death. Give her something to eat, Jesus tells them. It's a very practical and needful thing for a little girl who's been deathly ill. And out of the heartbreaking grief of the little girl's disease and death, hope is restored and normal life is resumed. Okay, that's the story in the text. Now, let's look at the values that this story demonstrates. Now, if you read, if you have read the four gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will likely have noticed that they are not arbitrary collections of stories. All four writers are very intentional about what they want to communicate to their readers, to us. They're thoughtful in what they present. And so the stories they include, like the one in our gospel reading, are inserted not randomly but with real purpose. Now, in St. Mark's case, he sets the stage for understanding all that he writes about Jesus and all that Jesus is doing and saying by the way he introduces us to Jesus at the beginning of his gospel. Listen to Mark chapter 1, verse 14 as I read it to you. Jesus came, St. Mark says, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay? Mark introduces Jesus this way, thus letting us know that we should read everything else that he records in light of this. In other words, the good news that Jesus is asking people to believe is that in Jesus, God's kingdom has arrived. And this means that all of us worn out, broken people who struggle with injustice and disappointment and illness and finally with death can have hope because Jesus, the rightful King, has arrived. The miracles he performs are proofs that God's kingdom is real, that our brokenness is not the final word in our stories and that we can believe in him because even illness and death tremble and fade away in his presence. You know those wonderful fantasies that you've read where the trolls and the thugs are ruining everything and then a stranger shows up who happens to be the king that everybody thought was lost and he reclaims his throne and defeats the trolls and frees his people from the endless winter so that spring once again spreads across the land? You read any of those stories? Well, this is just like that, only it's actually really historically true. And when I say true, I mean true with a capital T. And what could possibly be better than that? So when we read what Jesus teaches and does that Mark records, we're being given a glimpse, a hint of what this kingdom of God is like. The miracles are the obvious part. Of course there will be miracles. It's God's kingdom after all. But if we listen carefully and reflect on the stories that Mark includes, we'll also see something of a demonstration of the values of that kingdom that Jesus demonstrates. To see that in our Gospel reading, reflect on me and the priorities that Jesus reveals as he moves through this crowd of people interacting with the woman and with Jairus. And more specifically, we're going to try to notice Jesus' values in terms of status, gender, and time. Status, gender, and time. Okay. Consider the status of these two people who approached Jesus. In verse 22, we're told that Jairus was a synagogue ruler. That was a position of importance in the community. He was the administrative head of the synagogue, so he was responsible for its management and its good order. In other words, Jairus was easily recognized and could speak with authority. And perhaps, perhaps, we don't know, but perhaps that's one reason why he managed to get through this crushing crowd of people to interact personally with Jesus that day. Don't know. It's possible. In verse 25, we meet the woman who touched the hem of Jesus's coat But other than a report on her suffering, we're told nothing of her place in society. We're not even given her name. In the first century, both Jews and the Romans cared a great deal about status and one's place in the order of things. And that shaped how society went about its business and how it worked out in practice. If status was ignored, And if the wrong person were given preference, it was feared that the riffraff would begin to usurp the proper place of those who were worthy to be leaders and fools would soon rule in the place of the wise elders. In this story, Jairus had status and the woman had none. And yet Jesus interacted with both of them with equal care. He listened to them both brought grace to both of them, treated them both with dignity as persons of value and significance, and did absolutely nothing in this text, especially according to that that first century culture, to show preference to Jairus, the synagogue ruler, over a nameless, socially unimportant and powerless woman. If anything, he put the woman's needs above Jairus's needs stopping to talk with her while Jairus's daughter actually succumbed to her illness and died. Now if that's status is how it's revealed in the text, next consider gender. The woman's lack of status was closely related to her gender and to the misogyny of the first century society. Both Roman and Jewish society saw women as second-class citizens. Neither, for example, allowed women to testify in court because they were considered unreliable witnesses simply because they were female. Jairus is identified by name, while the woman is only referred to as a woman. No name is given in the text. And not only is Jairus male, he has ascended to a place of power open only to males in the synagogue. Women were excluded from that hierarchy. And yet Jesus treats them both equally with grace. He did not ignore the woman because they had an appointment at Jairus' house, but stopped to ask questions, to listen, to talk, and to heal, and then to send her carefully on her way. One of the reasons Christianity spread like wildfire in the first century was how Jesus treated women. He treated them as persons, as made in the image of God, with full dignity as people with gifts and intelligence and worthy of respect. Three days after Jesus was crucified, it was women who were the first witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. In a society where women were barred from testifying in court, the apostles of Jesus were expected to believe that Jesus was resurrected on the word of women. That's as radical a notion as is the resurrection itself and is to be reflected in our lives as well. The woman who was healed is not identified by name in the story, but something far better occurs. Jesus gives her a new and precious one. She crept up behind him in the crowd, seeking anonymity. But by the time she leaves his presence, Jesus has not only restored her to health, he has proclaimed for all the world and for all of time to know that this one is no longer uh, anonymous, but she is the daughter of the Lord of life, who reigns forever, world without end. She came to where his boat landed an unknown and left a member of the royal family of the kingdom of God. Not bad for an afternoon by the lake. Status, gender, and finally consider Jesus' values concerning time, every Every time I read this text, I wonder what Jairus thought when Jesus stops to converse with the woman. Many of you ever thought about that? His daughter is dying, and here Jesus is asking who touched him in a crush of people. And yet Jesus waits as his daughter slides closer to death and then has an unhurried conversation with this woman, and we don't even know who she is. In Jewish society, a girl was considered a woman when she reached 12 years and one day. And his daughter was 12 and was about to die. And yet Jesus moves slowly, so painfully slowly, through the crowd, through Jairus' house. Everything in this story points to the fact that Jesus was unhurried. Because real conversation, real caring, and dispensing real grace is simply impossible if you are in a rush to be efficient and hurried. Real love is not a one-click phenomenon. If modern society is known for anything, it is known as a time suck. Commutes eat into our day. Activities fill our schedules, cell phones ring and beep, and even when they're quiet, they need to be checked for the latest news, photos, and messages. And so, time to reflect, to be still in order to know God, to share a slow meal with leisurely conversation. Sometimes it seems these are in such short supply. We must fight like crazy to even maintain a tiny fragment of these practices that we know Nurture our souls. Status, gender, time. Jesus' priorities exhibited in this story were countercultural in the first century and they remain so in the 21st. And if we are his followers, I would argue these are to be our values, our priorities as well. So that's the story and the values of the kingdom demonstrated by Jesus, and that brings me finally to the challenge that this presents us. If our gospel reading shows anything definitively, it's that the values of the kingdom that Jesus demonstrated were countercultural. The reason I say this is because in both incidents, people pushed back against what Jesus said. Did you notice that? Verse 30. Jesus is moving through the crowd. The woman comes up behind him, touches his coat, and is healed. Now I'll read. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power has gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? Here's the pushback. And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched you? And Jesus looked around to see who had done it. Okay. To be honest, as I read this story, and as I read all stories, I always ask, who do I identify with? I don't identify with Jesus because, well, there's too many reasons to go into, but I don't, okay? I identify, in this case, with the disciples. This is a perfectly reasonable question that anyone with an ounce of common sense would ask. On the other hand, It is a question that is utterly contrary to what Jesus has just said. And so Jesus ignored them. Verse 39, when Jesus arrives at Jairus' house, people are mourning the death of a little girl, but Jesus sees things differently. Jesus says to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping, the child is not dead, but sleeping? And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside. At times of highly pitched emotion, when we just don't think we can keep our hearts in our chests any longer, laughter and crying can coexist within a breath of each other. And in this case, I tend to identify with the crowd. They were there, they saw the little girl draw her last breath, touched her lifeless body, and a stranger walks in to say she's asleep. Under the circumstances, that's a pretty laughable proposition, unless, of course, the one who just said that is the rightful king who is the source of all life, in whose presence death is always merely sleep. So they disbelieved his word, and it says he put them outside. Now beloved of God, make no mistake, to be ignored by the rightful king? to be put outside by the Lord of life, that's not good. It's not good at all. Our challenge, I would say, is precisely the same as the disciples. If we wish to flourish as persons, we must live not merely by current common sense or merely by the standards of society, but according to Jesus' word and example. Our society is roiled by debates about status and gender in time, and we have good news to tell and also to demonstrate in how we live our lives. The values of God's kingdom are redemptive and life-giving, raising the lowly and deflating the prideful, treating every person with the dignity due them as image bearers of God, And also inviting us to say no to the frantic so that we can say yes to moments of unhurried relationships with both God and our neighbor. And those are values, it seems to me, that not only Jesus displayed, but are worth having. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.